Am I recording? Yes. <laughs> and we're vibing in three, two, one. Everybody, welcome to the Green Light. Green Light Podcast. <laughs> We're here. I'm Jackson. And I'm Lauren. And what do we do, Lauren? We read unproduced plays and screenplays and interview the fabulous people who write them. Yes, we absolutely do that. And this week, the play you are going to hear is The Meadow, and the writer you're going to hear from is Ryan Kaminsky. Uh, yeah. Great play, great interview, a little bit of a, of a mystery. So the music yeah. you're probably hearing right now is reflecting that. In fact, I know Hopefully. it is because I've already picked the music out for this episode. There you go. <laughs> so you're gonna hear some some mystery, some fun music, and you're gonna hear a fun mystery play and yeah. a fun mystery interview. Well, but before that, really so interview. we have lots That's of stuff to talk interview. about this week. Yes, we do. Um, first of all, if you have not already rated and reviewed us on iTunes, do that it. would be fantabulous. You we can write no whatever reviews. you want. I checked. Roast us, leave your detour, we'll yes. read it. Yes. Um, second, if you are interested in getting even more of the green light. So much content. Yeah. We have our Patreon and you can subscribe for as low as a dollar a month and you'll get all kinds of bonus content. Yep. So we actually have our, uh, our next episode will be an excerpt of, uh, the play we're using for our first road trip that is available at the $10 level and above yes. on Patreon. So, so it'll, you'll get a sneak peek. Uh huh. And on the Patreon, that will be the full length play. It's yeah. a two hander. Lauren and well, I. Well, it's technically will be like acting. a, a longish one act. It's like a forty five. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. 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 But, but yeah. But still, it should be good. It should be exciting. That's We're that. Excited. So Patreon link in our description now. If you want more green light content, or if you just want to hear us talk, <laughs> if you more, want to hear more Jackson and Lauren content, <laughs> is really what it boils down to. We have. Another podcast. Wow. Wow. <laughs> You're saying, I know. what's wrong with them? What's Someone wrong help with them, them? Please. please. <laughs> this is a cry for help. Yes, it um, certainly is. But we, Lauren and I, we love The Mass Singer. We do. If and you're not familiar you with The Mass Singer, it's a singing competition show where mass celebrities sing, and then you don't know who they are. You're they given clues, clues, and then when they uh, when they are eliminated from the competition, <laughs> you then get to see who they are. They reveal yeah. themselves. It is With so that. much fun. We have now seen all three seasons. I watched all of season one a few days ago. Yes. And... Um, yeah, we will be doing a new episode for every episode of season four, including the preview that was released a couple days ago. Yes, we will. But right now, you can listen to our seasons one through three recap episodes, and yes. that link will be in the description. Yes. So the podcast, I don't think we said the name of it. We haven't. It is called... Who is that? The Mass Singer, Singer Podcast. Podcast. So um, if you could that understand is, who that, is that, yes, <laughs> who is that? The Mass Singer Podcast. You can find it right now for sure on iTunes and Spotify. We're working to get it up on other places as well. So yeah. stay tuned. Pretty much everywhere where you can find this podcast, you should be able to find that podcast soon. Yes. Okay. Whew. All I think right. That's it. So yeah. not only that. Before we get into our detour segment, which, you know, we love doing, Yay. we actually have uh, some a bit of news to talk about that we wanted to bring up. Yeah. Um, so you may have seen it already because it's a little bit old, but we wanted to still talk about it because last time we recorded last episode, it hadn't come out yet. Yeah. So we we're going to be discussing a little bit about the new uh, Academy Awards rules for diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you don't know... Academy just released that. They were like, hey, we need On, our movies uh, to, to be more diverse and to represent more of the actual people who live in the United States instead yes. of just, 
white people. I did that and I looked at my skin because Your I am watch white. that was not there. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, this, that was that was my hand. Not, like, my watch. Uh, yes. not the watch bit, which the I whiteness. is one of one of the best bits of all time. But yeah, so we're gonna give you a little bit of uh, a little bit, just a quick rundown of what they are. We'll include a link to the full ruse in ruse. ruse. The full ruse. The full Is rules. Is it a ruse? Let's no, it's discuss. not. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> the full rules in our description. But for now, we're just going to do a quick rundown. So, Lauren, if you want to start off with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this was released on September 8th, last Tuesday. Like I said, um, not this past Tuesday when you're listening to this, the one before. And uh, Academy President David Rubin and Academy CEO Don Hudson said, quote, the aperture must widen to reflect our diverse global population aperture. in both. What did I say? No, you said it. I was just saying that because that's like a film term and it's funny that he used Aperture. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, did I say it wrong? No, you're totally fine. I'm okay. sorry. I didn't mean to um, interrupt. Yeah, the Aperture must widen to reflect our diverse global population in both the creation of motion pictures and in audiences who connect with them. The Academy is committed to playing a vital role in helping make this a reality. And then dot, 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 later quote, we believe these inclusion standards will be a catalyst for long-lasting essential change in our industry. Yes. So... Um, another thing it says on the website is uh, for starting in 2022 and also 2023, um, if you want to be considered for Best Picture, you have to submit a confidential Academy Inclusion Standards form. However, um, you will not actually be required to meet the inclusion thresholds for eligibility in the Best Picture category until the 96th Oscars in 2024. Yeah, so basically these rules that we're about to tell you take into effect in 2024. Yeah. And so basically the way the Academy did it, they uh, separated things into four different categories, and if films want to be considered for Best Picture, they must meet at least two of the following requirements. First category of standards deals with stories or characters on the actual screen, so diversity requirements that involve people that you're seeing on the screen. Group B regards like the creative and production team behind the film and must meet certain diversity standards in there. Group C has to do with paid training opportunities that film companies offer. So things like internships and other jobs like that, uh, there are diversity requirements for those. Yeah, and crew then, requirements. That's uh, that's for crew as well. Yes, for, for crew as well. And then Group D deals with audience development. So in other words, like... A lot of marketing type things. Basically, that category is one of the simpler ones. To qualify, basically, the studio or company distributing the film must have multiple senior level executives from underrepresented identity groups. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah. that's pretty much it. If you want further as to specifics for each category and what they mean, we'll talk a little bit about it, but the more specific ones in that link in our bio. Yeah. So what do you think about this, Lauren? Do you so, think this is good? What, what, I think what's your it take? is a step in the right direction. I don't think it's enough simply because to meet these, these standards, I think are pretty easy to work around. Yeah. If you... Um, so, okay, for example, standard A is on-screen representation, themes, and narratives. So, for each of these standards, you only have to meet one of the following requirements. You know, there might be two or three different things you can do to meet that particular standard. So, for the on-screen representation, um, one of the things you can do is have one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors be from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Uh, that's specifically only racial and ethnic group, not um, something like, you know... Uh, a woman or a person with a disability or someone in the LGBTQ plus community. 
Um, another thing you can do is have at least 30% of all actors in the secondary and more minor roles um, who are those actors as a whole encompass at least two of the following underrepresented groups, women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities, or who are deaf or hard of hearing. <sighs> so um, there is another thing you can do in terms of like the storyline being surrounded um, or the storyline surrounding one of those underrepresented groups. Sure. But here's the thing. So you can meet that um, that standard even if none of your leads or major roles are a person of color um, by, or even, even any of your minor roles, honestly, if you were to say at least 30% of the um, secondary or more minor roles in my film, you know, someone who has like a couple lines, even at least 30% of them are women and maybe one of them is LGBTQ plus. Sure. And yeah. then you could get away with that and say that you met that standard. Yeah. So I don't know that they're quite strict enough because while, of course, we need more representation in all of these groups, people with disabilities, LGBTQ+, mm-hmm. and even women in a lot of films, um, at the same time, one of the biggest issues that people have had with the Oscars is that there are no, until now, there aren't really any diversity or inclusion standards specifically to include people of color. Yes. Um. And the fact that it's still possible to kind of get around that, even without making some of your really minor characters people of color, is... I don't know about that. Well, I think it goes even further in that. I think you can get away with not even including anything that appears on screen. You don't. You That's really don't even have to change anything, because you only have to meet two of those four overall categories. You could... Um, you know, you could have a couple of execs who are, um, in, you know, in ethnic minority groups or in underrepresented populations. Right. And then you could have, you know, a makeup head and a costuming head uh, in, in those two categories. And you could pretty much meet these requirements. Yeah. You know? Or, I mean, it also says um, there are that there's that other key roles thing. So, like, pretty yeah. much anyone except for a PA on the crew. Yeah, um, sure. Which is sort of like the, the lowest level crew member, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyone besides that, if six of those people are from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group, then you you've done the creative leadership and project team category. Yeah, and know? and while once again it is a step in the right direction, and truthfully, there are probably some film productions that don't even meet these standards at all. Yeah, you know, so it is good. I think that uh, the Academy is putting something out there that's like, hey. You're all on notice from now on. You know, we need you to meet, at the very least, these very basic, (laughs) you know, requirements. But once again, I think it is very easy to get around. I wonder if this is more just a first step. You know, maybe they have these in place for for a few years and then they sort of up the requirements. Maybe making more of the categories a requirement. Maybe making all four. You have to meet all four. And, you know, it's, 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 it's tough um, because I don't even know what I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> also tough to see this as a first step, considering that this doesn't even go into effect until 2024. And when I read that in my head, I was like, oh, so they're giving them three more years to make all white movies, you know? Sure. And like, I understand that a lot of the movies that are getting made in the next couple of years that would be under consideration for best picture have already been cast. Maybe have already, are already in production. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know. It seems, it just seems like you're kind of, you're giving people a lot of time to not have to make that many changes. Sure. You know what I mean? The, the reason why I 
I was I made the the first step comment. I just feel like it takes any large body so long to put anything in effect. Like no, any right. large group. You're right. You know, and so like while while of course they should make more stringent requirements sooner, it's just unfortunately bureaucracy and things like that sort of lead to being unable to do so. Yeah. Which do- doesn't excuse it necessarily, but I think sort of explains it. Yeah. So. So yeah, I don't know. I I would love it if the studios would take it upon themselves to be like we're going to meet all four of these requirements or yeah. you know, yeah. we're going to actually do something about this and make internal change. Sure. I hope that they take it as like a call to action, but I just don't know if I see that happening yeah and yeah i wish that the requirements were stricter yeah sure and i mean granted it's like you know some movies with like and these movies might not even be considered for best picture but some some smaller movies smaller budgets smaller just smaller stories may not have you know like if you if you consider they might not have a ton of extras or like people with only one line exactly and and if you think of even a big budget movie like um 10 cloverfield lane from a couple years ago Mm -hmm. that really had like four actors and while you know uh, one of those people could have been a person of color or someone from an underrepresented group you know it's still like i understand why it's not you have to meet all of these because they're of course extenuating circumstances but still should do more yeah still should do more so yeah, that's our that's our spiel. Um, yes. Let us Alrighty. know what you think about it. Yeah. yeah, let us know. We'd love to hear your comments. Yeah. So now we're gonna get into our detours of the week. Ooh. Detours of the week is a beep, segment beep. where we talk about something we've consumed in the past week, whether it be a movie, a TV show, book, play, ten-year-old video game. We're Whatever. throwing it at you. So Lauren, why don't you go ahead and start? Okay. So. Um, the second one we're going to talk about, we actually both watch and have been watching for a while. Yes. But at the beginning of this week, neither of us had another thing to talk about. Yeah. And Jackson was working a lot. So I was like, all right, I'll find something to watch so I can talk about it. And I watched um, brand new 2020 film Unpregnant on mm-hmm. HBO Max, directed by Rachel Lee Goldenberg, starring Barbie Ferreira and Haley Lou Richardson. And I was pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed it. Um, so the quick summary, when pregnant teenager Veronica Richardson discovers that she cannot get an abortion in her home state of Missouri without her parents' permission, she convinces her former friend Bailey Ferreira to take a road trip with her to Albuquerque so she can get one there. So, yeah, basically this girl, um, finds out right at the beginning of the movie that she's pregnant. She actually Mm -hmm. takes a pregnancy test in the bathroom at school. Um, Bailey, who used to be her best friend, and you find out they kind of drifted apart when... Um, Bailey started having some mental health issues due to her parents' divorce, and Veronica, being a kid, didn't really know how to deal with that. Of course, yeah. Um, Yeah, so Bailey finds out right at the beginning that Veronica is pregnant kind of by accident, and when she talks to her boyfriend about it, her boyfriend is pretty adamant about her keeping it. He, like, proposes, and she gets freaked out by that. Yeah, Um, and, and she's 17 at the time. Um, and then her, you know, more popular friends that she hangs out with now, um, found the pregnancy test in the trash and didn't know whose it was and are literally out there like making a chart of every girl in the school trying to figure out who it was. So obviously she feels like she can't open up to them. Sure. So she has very pro-life, like very conservative religious parents Mm -hmm. who she knows like she would not be able to get their consent to get an abortion. So... The nearest place that she can get an abortion without her parents' consent at 17 is a thousand miles away. 
and she doesn't have a car, so she hits up the only person she can really talk to about this, her former best friend, Bailey. Um, and they take a road trip. They take a road trip, a thousand miles to Albuquerque, all kinds of stuff goes wrong. Uh, turns out, you know, Bailey took her boyfriend's mom's car without asking, so it gets impounded. There oh, are all kinds of things. Geez. At one point, they get basically kidnapped by um, a very, very pro-life couple with all kinds of kids who um, the boyfriend actually got in contact with because he's been, like, stalking her across the country. Um, so it's kind of a road so trip movie. It, it's definitely a road trip movie. Hmm. It's, like, there are a lot of comedic moments. Um, there are a lot of dramatic moments, too. There are almost, there are a lot of political undertones just in terms of, like, women having autonomy over their own bodies and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, and at times, it is, like, a tiny bit on the nose, but I think for the most part, it's really well-placed. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Good. And uh, another thing I wanted to say, um, I don't know what I was going to say, actually. Um, another really comedic <laughs> moment was, I was like, uh, OK, <laughs> there's this um, there's this very after they after they get away from a, um, a high speed car chase with the uh, very pro-life conservative couple, um, they meet this very libertarian guy named Bob who um, is like, <laughs> oh, well, Bob. you know, I, no one can tell you what to do with your bodies. Like, the government tells you to brush your teeth. Hmm. You know, no way. And they're like, all right. But he owns a limo, <laughs> a sketchy limo service. So um, he offers to drive them there and everything. Good. Um, he has a great line that's like, if friendship weren't a construct, I think you two would be really good friends. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a fun character, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a fun character. It's a fun movie. It's a really great friendship you know, slice of lifey kind of movie. And I had a great time with it. Um, I also think at some point down the line, there was definitely a working title for this movie. They definitely called it abortion road trip at mm. some point and then probably decided <laughs> yeah. to switch it to unpregnant. That's not great. But like, especially because at one point Bailey makes, or yeah, yeah, Bailey, um, Bailey makes a joke about like, Oh, haha, -ha, see you on the next abortion road trip. You know? Sure. Um, yeah, it's it's just very good. It's a great relationshipy, heartwarming movie with some political undertones. So cool. Who would you recommend it to? I would recommend it to someone who's trying to convince their parents to um, believe in women's rights. Okay, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> but also really just like anyone who wants to see like a good, heartwarming friendship movie with some some comedy. Sure. Well, sounds great. Yeah. All righty. Moving on to our magnum opus of the week, <laughs> if you will. We have talked about a few trashy reality shows, and I wouldn't necessarily call this trashy, but it's certainly irreverent. Holy <laughs> moly, an ABC competition reality show hosted yeah. by Rob Riggle and Joe Tessitore. It's a mini golf. And a little bit Steph Curry. <laughs> it's a little bit of Wipeout. It's a lot of mini golf. And that's pretty much all the description you need. Yeah, and there I was are, in the audience for it. Lauren was in the audience for it, so she has some in-depth analysis for being <laughs> in the audience. But essentially what it is, uh, there are four contestants each week? Six, No, eight. there are eight contestants There are eight each contestants week. each week, each competing for a spot on the final episode. And uh, so they, they go through three rounds. And uh, four people eliminated the first round, two people eliminated the second round, and then one person eliminated the final round, so that one person moves on. And they win the uh, the green the green jacket, the green and the jacket, green plaid jacket, and the golden putter, yeah. and then move on to the final episode where they can potentially win two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. 
So this is uh, executive produced by Stephen Curry. Yes. And the only time we see <laughs> Stephen Curry is when he is doing these interviews where he clearly is not in the same room at the same time as Rob Riggle. Yeah. I'm convinced of that. They never showed a wide shot of the two of them nope. in the same room. But it's a fun show. Like I said, it's a really fun it's show. Mini well, there, there's also combined. cartoon Steph Curry. There are there is cartoon Steph Curry, which once again might not even be him doing the voiceover. I'm sure it was I would like be a, an impersonator. Yeah. <laughs> Steph Curry, if that's not true, if you were doing all of those voiceovers, come on the podcast to discuss. We'd love to have you, sir. He's a uh, He's a UNC alum. No, he is not. He is a Davidson he's not? alum. Never mind. He's from North same, Carolina. Same area. Same area. <laughs> I didn't go to UNC, I have an excuse. And that's okay. I also don't care about basketball. But yes, so once again, if you like Wipeout. It's it's fairly similar in some of the obstacles. Yeah. If you like competition TV show, you will like this. If you like hosts who don't care if you watch the show at all, <laughs> who just are doing their own thing and vibing on their own, you will like this show. Yeah. I will say this, as far as tones... This is almost the exact opposite of Ultimate Tag. Now, Ultimate Tag takes itself so seriously. It, it, it's very much a by the book, down Scripted. down the numbers. Yeah. You have the Watt Brothers hosting. You can't go too off script. This, Rob Riggle is very funny. Yeah. Joe Tessitore is a great host. And I think he he's not he, a he comedy guy. He plays off Rob Riggle a lot. But yeah, he, he, he's like the deadpan one, you know? He, he plays off Rob Riggle really well. The two of them together, once again absolutely irreverent so much fun they don't care they don't care if you like this show they don't. they don't and that's what makes it so good and that's what makes you love it that is what makes you love the show if you don't know what i'm talking about you'll have to just watch it because yeah. holy moly it's great and once again this is another show that we watched in the wake of the mass singer yes. in, in waiting for the new season of the mass singer and it was definitely worth it i'd definitely. say it's definitely worth your time i think there are 13 episodes total yeah correct? well and i will say um only season two is on hulu that's right we watched um, it on we hulu, have not seen season by the one way. yes um yeah, I mean it's it's a really fun show. Like there is there's a hole called the one I was in the audience for. Um, it was just four teams, not teams, but like People. four for, pairs uh, of competitors. Yeah, pairs. Um, on it was called hole number two. It was actually like hole sixteen, I think. Yeah. But it's called hole number two because they have to run past a bunch of porta potties, and each porta potty has a person in a mascot costume who opens the door and tries to knock them off into the water. Yeah. So it's so a, that's they, the tone. <laughs> yeah. And and there are other things like the... There's a uh, hole called Uranus. There is a hole called Uranus. So many jokes. <laughs> so many jokes. Thank you, Rob Rickle, for that. There's there's a hold called, I think it's Franken-Putt, where yes. people wear... You get like, electrocuted. Yeah. They wear like shock bracelets around their uh, ankles and wrists, and every time they don't make the putt... They get shocked. <laughs> yeah. At one point, uh, Rob Riggle and Joe Tessitore made a bet on who was going to win one of them. And yes. Rob Riggle was like, I'm going to put on one of the bracelets for this person I'm betting on. And he did. I don't know if I he, don't know if it was I, real. I don't but know it was pretty it was funny. Uh, there was one contestant. Um, I'm not going to say who they were and how they made it because that's a bit of a spoiler. But mm -hmm. they knew both Zac Efron and Josh Dumal. So they made a quick appearances on the show. Josh yeah. Dumal actually came on and hosted for a bit with Rob Riggle and Joe Tessitore. Zac was just there. As a cameo, I guess, just for fun, watching his watching his friend. Unfortunately, not there the day I was there. Yes, correct. Big sad. Um, I think final thing. Who was your favorite contestant on the season? Oh my god, absolutely, uh, David the ice cream guy. David the ice cream guy is definitely a highlight. By far, the most sincere of the people. Yeah. 
Definitely. And basically, I like applesauce too. Basically, the, I, I was going to say applesauce was one of my favorites. <laughs> the contestants either consist of professional golfers who have been doing this for 30 years or people who just like mini golf. And yeah. that skill gap is so wide, but it gets so small when you consider what this show is. True. <laughs> well, it's also too, because like, so, you know, there's always the initial putt and then there's an obstacle. Yeah. And... If you fall in the water, if you don't have whatever athleticism is yes. needed to get past that obstacle, you get a stroke penalty. So yeah. in a way, it's it's really only partly about the mini golf. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, I mean, it shoots like the, the course was up in Malibu and it was very cold when yeah, I was there. It do be that. But um, there have been a few times during quarantine when we've been like, hmm, maybe we should go try and check out Holy Moly. See yeah. if it's there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think those are all my thoughts on Holy Moly. Yeah, go yeah, watch, watch it. it. It's, it's on Hulu. It's a lot of fun, especially if you have a group of people to do it with. Go watch uh, Holy Moly on Hulu. Coming up next, we have... The Meadow, the Meadow by Ryan, by Ryan Kaminsky. Kaminsky. We'll be back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Green Light. Green Light. We are reading The Meadow by Ryan Kaminsky today. Yes, we are. And you have Jackson here. You have Lauren here. And you also have Regina here, our guest actor for the day. Regina, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Doing awesome. fantastic. Uh, so, Regina, do you want to give yourself uh, give a little introduction for everyone listening, just a little about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I am a theater-trained actor. I've been entertaining both with theater and with singing off and on for years now, and I am very excited to be here on the show. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you absolutely. so much for coming. I didn't know you were a singer, too. That's oh, yeah, fantastic. yeah. Well, I mostly went through and looked at the casting calls and resumes, so <laughs> I knew you were a singer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of the loop, unfortunately. But uh, no, that's fantastic. That's great. So let's jump into The Meadow by Ryan Kaminsky. Yeah. So, uh, I am Lauren. As you know, I will be playing Miss Harris, who is blunt and unflustered, private investigator, late 20s. I am Regina, playing Mrs. Page. I am nervous, troubled, heiress to her father's fortune, mid-40s. And I am Jackson, and I will be reading the stage directions. The Meadow, by Ryan Kaminsky. Scene, the kitchen in Mrs. Page's home. Time, early afternoon, present. Synopsis. A woman hires a private investigator, but all is not what it seems. Setting. The kitchen in Mrs. Page's home. At rise. A table and two chairs rest stage center. A dresser with a framed photograph of a meadow on its surface rests upstage left. A doorbell rings offstage. It's open. A door opens offstage. Miss Harris enters the room from stage right. She wears a jacket. Mrs. Page? It's Miss Harris. I'll be out in a second. Miss Harris examines the photograph of the meadow on the dresser. Mrs. Page enters from stage left. She carries a glass of wine in each hand. It's near a mountain trail upstate. What? The meadow and the pitcher. It's where my husband proposed. We were on our way back from a hike when he popped the question. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go prying through your personal things. No need to apologize. Miss Harris hands her one of the wine glasses. Had to go to three liquor stores in town, but I was finally able to find the brand you like. Decided to pour myself a glass, too. Thank you. Miss Harris takes a sip. I hope finding it wasn't too much trouble. Not at all. I did make a promise to pick it up for you. As my father always said, it's important to keep your promises. Good motto to live by. Here, let me get your jacket. That's all right, Mrs. Page. Why don't we just sit down for now? Oh, okay. Please. 
gestures to table. Miss Harris takes off her jacket and places it on the back of her chair. The two women sit at the table. You'll have to forgive me if I'm a little flustered. This is a first for me. It's a first for me, too. What do you mean? Between inviting me over like this and picking up a bottle of my favorite wine. Usually clients just stop by my office. I did think about stopping by your office, but when I saw where your office was located, I realized we couldn't meet there. My husband runs the law practice across the street. If one of his coworkers looked out the window and saw me heading into a private investigator's office... I understand. Same reason why I didn't want to meet anywhere public. Yes, I can see now why that wouldn't work. Tell me, Mrs. Page, where is your husband now? Well, he had to go into the city. His brother called late last night regarding a family emergency. He won't be back until late tonight. Ms. Harris sips more wine. Let's get right down to business, then. What exactly do you want me to investigate? I want you to investigate my husband because because I think he's having an affair. I see. And why do you think so? Certain mannerisms and behaviors I've noticed. He'll be on the phone and when I walk into the room, he'll suddenly hang up. He'll tell me he was at a late meeting at the office, but when I call the office, there's no one there. I've also been smelling his shirts before they go into the wash lately and they'll have traces of a perfume that isn't mine. How long has this been going on? For a few months now. But the signs have been becoming more apparent over the past few weeks. I see. Well, I've certainly investigated plenty of affairs over the years. Not like this one. What do you mean? It's not just the affair I'm worried about. You see, I I feel crazy for saying this out loud, but I also think my husband is planning to kill me. Mrs. Page, that is a very serious accusation. I know, Believe me, I wouldn't bring it up unless I honestly believed it. And what makes you believe it? Tell me, why on earth would you think your husband would want to kill you? It's no secret how wealthy I am. As the sole heiress of my father's fortune, I inherited everything when he died. And now, in the event of my death, my husband would inherit everything. Miss Harris sips wine. But isn't your husband already rich with his own law practice? This isn't known to the public yet, but it will be soon. My husband's law practice is failing. It has been failing for a while now, and it'll go completely under soon. He's going broke, and he's getting desperate. And besides, he has someone new to provide for now. These are all just theories and suspicions, though. They're not proof. I do have proof. At least, I think I do. And what might that be? I found an envelope in my husband's study. It it was in one of those, uh, one of his drawers, his desk drawers. I think it might be poison. Poison? Yes. At least that's what it looks like. And why haven't you gone to the police with this? Because I'm not completely sure. Imagine if I walked into a police station and told them what I just told you, and it turned out not to be poison. They'd think I was crazy. My husband would find out, and then I'd be in an even worse situation. Maybe if you could take a look at it. I'm sure in your line of work you have friends who could figure out what it is. I'm sure you could find answers in a discreet way. I just want the truth. I want to know if my husband is involved with someone, with anyone. And if he is, I want to know if they're trying to get to me. I just want answers. Let me see the envelope. Are you saying you'll take the case? I'm saying I'd like some more information before I officially commit. I'd like to see what you found. I'll be right back. She rises from her chair and exits stage left. After a moment, Miss Harris reaches into one of her jacket pockets and pulls out an envelope. 
She takes a hold of Mrs. Page's wine glass, opens the envelope, and pours a white substance out of the envelope and into the glass. She then jostles Mrs. Page's wine glass until the substance dissolves. Miss Harris then shuts the envelope and returns it to her jacket pocket. Mrs. Page re-enters, carrying an envelope of her own. She hands it to Miss Harris. Be careful with it. Miss Harris opens an envelope and looks inside. What do you think? I'm certainly no expert on identifying these kinds of things. You said you found this in the back of his desk drawer? Yes. I mean, why else would he have hidden something like this from me unless he wanted to use it? Tell you what, I have a friend down at the crime lab. I can take a sample out of this envelope and have him analyze it. Are you saying you'll take the case? Like you, I want to find out the truth. I want answers, too. I'll take the case. Uh, Thank you. Oh, thank you. Miss Harris sips her wine. While we await the results of the analysis, I think it'd be best for you to get out of the house. Stay with a friend, take a mini-vacation, whatever. If what you think is true, it's important for you to get away while I investigate. I have a friend in the city I can stay with. Um, I'll call my husband later and tell him I'm going away for the weekend. God, I just can't believe this. I can only imagine how difficult this must be for you. Why don't you take the next few minutes to compose yourself? Try having some wine. Mrs. Page picks up her wine glass and goes to take a sip. Right before she is about to sip it, she sets it down once again. I mean, it seemed like yesterday when he proposed to me in the meadow. And now I have to face the reality that he's possibly cheating on me, and worse yet, possibly trying to kill me? (coughs) Miss Harris coughs. Mrs. Page, why don't you try taking things step by step? I've agreed to investigate this for you, so let's just take it from there, okay? Go on, have some wine. Take it easy for now. She sips her wine. Mrs. Page takes a hold of her glass and raises it. To better days. Mrs. Page and Miss Harris clang their glasses together. Miss Harris downs her own wine and coughs again. (coughs) Mrs. Page holds the glass to her lips, only to set it down once more. I still keep thinking about that meadow. What about it? How my marriage began there. And how it ended there. How did your marriage end there? Because that's where I buried my husband. (coughs) I'm sorry? Last night, when I found the poison in his desk, I poured some of it into his drink at dinner. (coughs) I poisoned him. I poisoned him in the exact same way I know you're now trying to poison me. (coughs) You think that being in a private investigator, you're the only one who can follow someone? You think you're the only one who can retrieve deleted emails? (coughs) You think you're the only one who can get answers? For God's sakes, you're even wearing the same perfume I've smelled on his clothes. (coughs) I know you're the one he's been having an affair with. I know you're the one who's been having an affair with my husband, Miss Harris. And I know the two of you have been trying to kill me. (coughs) You're probably wondering why you hadn't heard from my husband since last night. That's why I told you that bogus story about him leaving for a family emergency. In fact, this whole afternoon has been one bogus story. (coughs) What are you talking about? That's why I pose as a potential client. (laughs) I needed to get you here, Miss Harris, and I knew you'd buy my story. I also knew you'd jump at any opportunity to come and try to attempt what my husband failed. (coughs) Mrs. Page takes a hold of her own wine glass. When I put the poison in my husband's drink, it took about... Ten minutes before he began to feel any effects. (coughs) Given how quickly you chugged that wine, and given how much you're coughing now, I'd say you're already feeling the effects of the poison I put in yours. Miss Harris picks up her now empty wine glass and examines it. You... You... She tries to steady herself at the table, but collapses on the nearby floor. Mrs. Page rises and walks over to the dresser. 
She picks up the photograph of the meadow. <clears throat> I don't know where my husband proposed in the meadow, Miss Harris. He proposed to me between two trees at the meadow's edge. None of the hikers from the mountain trail ever <coughs> went there, and he thought it would be romantic. When I accepted his proposal, he promised me he would spend forever with the woman he loved. She sets down the photograph, opens a dresser drawer, and pulls out a bedsheet. She walks over to Miss Harris, who withers on the floor. I dug two graves in between those trees, one for him and one for you. Since my husband loved you, he'll still be keeping his promise. <laughs> she tosses the bedsheet onto Miss Harris. Miss Harris withers for another moment before her body becomes still beneath the bedsheet. As my father always said, it's important to keep your promises. Blackout, followed by curtain. End of play. everybody, welcome back to The Green Light. Green Light. This is Jackson here. And Lauren. And we're here today with our writer of the week, Ryan Kaminsky, the writer of The Meadow. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're excited. Let's just dive right in. I'm, I'm hungry today for some, okay. <laughs> for some script analysis. I'm hungry because I haven't eaten breakfast. Awesome. I'm, I'm hungry too. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so let's just start off. Uh, give us your writer origin story. How did you start off writing and how did you, how did you get into it? Oh, uh, well, I always loved writing ever since the time I was a little kid. Before I could write, I would follow my parents around the house, asking them to dictate stories to me, essentially. <laughs> and I went through all different phases of storytelling. I originally uh, wanted to uh, be an actor. Then when I got into high school, I got really interested in the filmmaking aspect of storytelling. I was always uh, carrying my film camera tripod around high school, making student movies after school. Then I, uh, in college, I, I started off at a community college and then I transferred to a four-year school. And while I was in community college, I was doing some acting again, but then I took a playwriting class. And when I took that class, I kind of realized that this was it. This was what I wanted to do in terms of storytelling, in terms of pursuing something theater-related wise. So ever since then, been writing plays. Uh, when I got out of school, I started contacting all community theaters by me, looking for all kinds of play submission opportunities, and pretty much been going that route ever since. Nice. That's fantastic. There is something, I don't know, there's there's something special about the theater, for sure. Yeah, there is. That I, yeah. that I mean, I you know, we definitely read a lot of screenplays here, but yeah, yeah, it's always nice when we have a play. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, theater, you know, it's going on right in front of you on say a film set you can do a scene you know 20 30 different times but if with a theater story's going on right in right in front of you yeah. really yeah. you can't mess up and having that connection with the audience of seeing a live performance i think there's nothing like it yeah yeah okay and, this is uh this is oh. not one of our interview questions but Whoa. i actually have a question for Lauren's you going off script no oh, okay. um <laughs> so just an opinion question when a production like a stage production is filmed 
Ooh. You know, they only do one take of it. So like the Netflix uh, Shrek the Musical, right? Or the most recent uh-huh. filming of Hamilton. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I love Shrek um, was your first reference. <laughs> that's my first thought. Or, or, you know, like Legally Blonde did it too. Sure, 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 sure. So even if it is only, you know, one specific performance, like the scenes weren't done over and over, even if it was technically recorded live, is it still theater if it's been filmed? Uh, definitely, I'd say so, because, you know, you're filming essentially a live performance. You may be cutting between different nights of the same performance, but all in all, it was, you know, a live performance that was going on in front of you. So, yeah, I definitely say it is. Okay. Cool. 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 We love that. Well, now we're going to just jump into the scripts. Our actual uh, questions. Yes. Right. Yes. The real questions. Now we're back on our script. Hey. Look what I did. (laughs) Uh, So this story revolves around two characters who think they know more than the other person. And of course, only one of them is right. So this might be more of a question for a director of this production, but how do you envision the first half of the script playing out? Should everything appear normal or should the audience expect something from the very beginning? Uh, I'd say everything should appear normal at first, but I really liked your analysis, how both characters kind of have secrets uh, from each other. But when I've, I've seen the play at a, uh, a one act festival, uh, last year, actually, and, you know, seeing it with an audience, seeing the story unfold and the audience had no idea what it was about. I kind of wanted the audience to, you know, think that all the information that's spoken out loud, that that's really what the script's going to be about. But then as the play progresses, then you find out, oh, we got some secrets here. And then, of course, leading up to several big reveals at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of, I think that leads into our next question really nicely, actually. So one thing that I thought was really cool about this script is it like reversed the audience's expectations, kind of both story-wise and structure-wise. So like we see at the beginning that uh, it, it feels like Miss Harris is our protagonist because like we have these primary moments with her, we start with her, and then Mrs. Page almost seems to be this mysterious, almost villain-like character. She even has like a, what at the end feels like a, a, a villain-like speech to me but then if we look at their actions mrs page is kind of the one who we should be rooting for in a Mm -hmm. way uh so did you intentionally provide this like juxtaposition for the audience excuse me and what was your intention behind that uh i would say it it was intentional i had always wanted to uh do a story where you have two characters and they're it's kind of a mind game between them that they're trying to outwit each other and like you said, reversing the uh, audience's expectations, because uh, when the play starts, you know, it kind of seems like Miss Harris is the protagonist, like given her career, she is trying to help Mrs. Page. But then, like you said, it really does flip. And really the line between, you know, who's the hero, who's the villain, that's kind of get that kind of gets blurred. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Because even now asking the question again, I'm like. I guess Miss Page is the one who should be rooting for, but at the same time, she does commit murder. She so, does. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you there, know. There, there is that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that, that juxtaposition, I think, is really cool. And like, also, it's like, maybe there are no heroes in this one. Maybe everyone's go. bad. <laughs> so uh, there's a really interesting moment in this script towards the end where after poisoning Miss Harris, Mrs. Page talks about her husband's proposal. So is this at all a final moment of reminiscence or is this entirely just a moment of rubbing it in Miss Harris's face? I, th- I think it's a, a little bit of both because Mrs. Page gets into, you know, our marriage began there and it ended there. 
And also about she gets into her husband's betrayal because she said that the husband had said to her there that he always wanted to be with the woman he loved forever. And now Mm -hmm. because Mrs. Page has essentially done away with her husband and with Miss Harris, that promise is going to be true now in a way since they'll be buried there together. Right. So, yeah, definitely. I'd say definitely rubbing it in and also reminiscing a little bit because before all the betrayal happened, I mean, Mrs. Page had the picture of the meadow in her home. It was, you know, a very happy memory. And then given the actions of her husband and her husband's new lover, it's now really essentially that the meadow now represents essentially a place of revenge and getting back at broken promises. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I actually, I have another question once again, going off script a little bit, but do you think Mrs. Page, is this closure for her? Like, do you think after this, after, you know, she dumps Mrs. Harris's body or, or whatever happens, do you think she can finally sit down and rest? Or do you think there's always still going to be something nagging her? Uh, I'd say she gets closure in terms of her husband and the husband's lover because, you know, don't forget uh, the husband and Miss Harris were trying to get Mrs. Page first, and she essentially got them before they could get her. That is true. But I'd I'd say that after you know she wraps this all up, I'd still say there's you know something a little off about Mrs. Page. Mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, be surprised if this wasn't like her first you know committing a crime or something mm-hmm. i wouldn't say she, she's done in her life she's she's still got some probably some demons in her closet and you know hopefully she's not betrayed again because she knows what she's capable of if she ever is right yeah no yeah. absolutely absolutely um so sort of sort of going a little broader with like sort of the genre that you explored here so the mystery drama really isn't often explored as much on stage, I feel like, especially if you compare it to, like, film or in literature. So why do you think that is, and why are you in particular drawn to this genre? Because I know some of the other uh, scripts that you sent us as well were also sort of in this mystery genre. So why are you drawn to that, and uh, why do you think it isn't often explored on stage as much? Uh, I've I've really been drawn to uh, mystery thrillers, suspense stories from the time I was younger. I kind of grew up watching a lot of murder mysteries, British murder mysteries. I got into watching Agatha Christie movies, movies that were based off her work uh, when I was really into film and still am into film, but I really got into the works of Alfred Hitchcock. And Mm. I'd say in terms of the stage, aside from like, murder mystery like whodunits you really don't see that many thrillers with mystery elements in them that much mm-hmm. and there definitely is i'd say an audience for them i've i've been uh, lucky to have uh quite a few stage readings a radio play reading before the uh, whole virus hit i actually had a uh, community theater production of one of my thriller plays in new york in late february so there definitely is an audience uh, looking for them and i'm really hoping to tap into that. I think that in a medium such as theater where, you know, it's happening right in front of you, that stories of suspense, thrillers, works that really keep audience on the edge of their seats, that that's the really the best kind of experience you can have in the theater watching that story when everybody is, you know, gasping together on the edge of their seat together, guessing what's going to happen together. I just think that a thriller, mystery, suspense, that's like the perfect kind of story to tell in a setting as intimate as the theater. Yeah, absolutely. I love mysteries. I absolutely (laughs) adore them. I do too, yes. They're great. And I remember it was my junior year of high school. 
on our trip to Washington, D.C., like our final junior year trip, we saw this play that was like, it was a mystery play, but they had like an audience voting, like I think it was before the third act, and they were like, uh, who do you think did it? It was almost like a clue situation. No, it wasn't. I I don't think so. It was something different. But then the killer was based off of like audience voting i can't remember if it was like the person who got voted the most likely or the least oh, likely that's, that's really cool yeah so, so, like they had they had like a script and like based different on who endings the rehearsed, posts, that's yeah. like the uh ending they go with. exactly yeah, awesome. and i think that's so fun for an audience i also think that's so fun for like the people acting on stage with that so they're like all right i'm that the killer is, tonight they, 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 yeah they never know what's gonna happen yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. i love props to you for for your uh uh writing in the mystery genre because yeah. i love it I oh, do. Thank, thank you very much yeah so one of the potential drawbacks of the mystery genre is that it loses potential rewatch value once the audience knows how the story plays out. So what do you think the rewatch or reread value is in the mystery genre, and how do you think that plays out in your script? I think once you kind of know a movie's big twist, you can go – oh, like, well, a movie's big twist or a play's big twist, you can go back and rewatching it and get a different perspective mm-hmm. based on what you know. I mean, so many times with plays or with movies, once you know a twist, you can essentially go back and you'll notice lines of dialogue that you didn't realize before and how they essentially built up to the big twist, built up to the big reveal. You can uh, study certain characters, knowing what they're going to do, see how they act in certain scenes. So definitely like the first time I definitely will watch a thriller or mystery, you know, for, for the whole experience to get caught up in the story. But then whenever I go back, I find myself admiring, you know, how clever the writing is. And I'll, I definitely pick up on things and little cues that I didn't notice before. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely talked about it on this podcast before. But like the first time I saw The Prestige, mm, I had to yeah. immediately okay, go nice. back and watch mm-hmm. it again. <laughs> yeah. Because no, I yeah, did not see the sure. ending coming yeah. at Yeah, all. definitely. Also... <laughs> Uh, like I had uh, mentioned Alfred Hitchcock earlier, a lot of his movies, I'd say, especially a Vertigo with a Jimmy Stewart, Kim mm-hmm. Novak. Mm-hmm. Once you know the basic plot, then whenever I rewatch that movie, I find myself identifying with certain characters, identifying with their perspectives. And I realize, you know, how wonderfully messed up the whole love story and story is essentially. So, yeah, yeah definitely on multiple viewings, you definitely pick up more and you can identify with certain people more and you can identify with essentially the writing, too. Yeah. Pick it, I love going back and picking up on those. Yeah, clues. for sure. Once I feel again. like Knives Out was another really good one for that, too. Yeah. For sure. I've, I've, I've heard about that. I haven't seen it. Really? Yet. So I, I, good. I, I, I feel I like you would love it. Yeah. Stuff. I think it, 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 I'll, I, have to catch, I'll have to check it out, definitely. Then. Yeah. I, I think it, it takes a lot of inspiration from a lot of those, like Ag- Agatha yeah. Christie. So like, it is a it spoof, but it also is a genuine murder mystery because, yeah. I mean, you think you know what happened and then. You don't. You don't. <laughs> you don't yeah. know what happened. <laughs> yeah, that, that's oh, nice. a great one. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah. have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that ends our script questions. Now we're moving into the questions about you, about your perspective. So, oh, okay. Um, you mentioned at the beginning, um, and, you know, from, from your writings, it uh, seems like you primarily choose to write for the stage, and obviously theater's in kind of a tough place right now. Um, and this has been a topic of a, a discussion on our show a lot, actually. But we would love your perspective as well. So where do you think the future of theater lies in this like new world that we're facing? 
I'd say for right now, I've seen a lot of virtual performances, a lot of virtual stage readings. I actually, back in August, a a full-length play that I wrote, which had the production in New York before pandemic hit, that had a virtual stage reading. And I thought that that was excellent. It was really... I. You know, I had never seen one of those before. I didn't know what to expect. And it's, it's had a cast of six and you had people literally all over the world acting it out, interacting together. So I'd say right now, uh, I'd say it's going virtual, going the podcast route. But definitely as, you know, more and more states start to open again. I know uh, movie theaters were opening recently. I definitely, you know, see the theater making a comeback because, you know, everybody, theater lovers, we're all missing it. We're all dying to essentially get back in a theater, share that kind of experience again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I really think that something that we're going to see a lot more of is live streams, like you were saying, but in a way where like all the actors are still there and, you know, like the creative team, whatever, but there's not as many audience members. I think theaters are going to have to start getting more sophisticated about being able to live stream live productions Mm -hmm. because I feel like even when things go back to normal, I put that in quotes, you know, some people are still going to be hesitant, but they still want to see the theater. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even, even if you have to seat everyone six feet apart in the theater, if you can also make some revenue off of live stream sales i think that would be great and you know yeah, definitely and i have seen you know some of that pop up depending on you know where in the world it is but yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah and it also it also is i think that's just really cool in general because it provides people an access to theater that they never would have been able to see yeah. you know depending on where they live or or their like economic status yeah. you know and i'm i'm all for the accessibility of theater i sure. love it i've talked about well, it well i mean the show. even <laughs> with regional theaters too you yeah. know cuz yeah. i mean a lot of regional theaters have unfortunately gone under during this pandemic but i do think that you know a way that they could survive is like okay well if you have you know x amount of people in the theater that are maybe paying regular price they're all sitting 6 feet apart but then you can have unlimited access to people for you know half price or something to see the live stream version yeah i think yeah, that definitely. it would mm-hmm. definitely yeah open up a lot more people to be able to see it yeah and also still have the theater you know make money at least make their money back yeah 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 absolutely theaters mm-hmm. across the country i hope you're listening to this <laughs> give <laughs> yeah. me some great ideas take, take note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's see um yeah another personal question nice. <laughs> um i know that you said that you originally wanted to be an actor um so can you talk about any any other aspects of theater or film that you've dabbled in so like directing producing acting and how has that affected your writing Oh, yeah. As an actor, I really got a sense for a character. I got a sense for on the stage what worked and what didn't. I noticed that in like quite a few productions, if there are, you know, constant set changes and constantly moving things that that can be a bit of a hassle. So I try to keep my plays conveniently at one same set. I think that that's convenient for the actors and for the audience and for theaters as well, you definitely in the theater can take use of a single location, whereas, say, in a film, you can, you know, have a thousand different locations, essentially, in a two hour movie or something. But, uh, yeah, uh, the only play of mine I've directed was one I wrote a one act play that went up at my community college about, I want to say, like nine years ago. 
So yeah, definitely when you dabble in all aspects of it, you get a sense of what works, what doesn't, and what you as also an audience member would like to see more of. You can see how people react to your work. So yeah, kind of when you dabble in everything, you really get a sense of where you want to focus on as an artist and where you want to go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I I really liked what you said about keeping your keeping your scripts sort of in one location. I think mm-hmm. that's I think that like you said it's very convenient on the actors and you know allowing them to sort of focus on on what their primary job is. I also think that like pr- provides a like a a creative a creative what a, what's the word I'm trying to think of? A creative boundary that that yeah. you mm-hmm. as a writer sort of have to have to stay within. And I think that could like some really cool things can come out of that. Like I think uh we we talked about it a little bit before, but if you just have anything that you can write, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, there's so much I can do. I don't know what to focus on, whatever. But if you give yourself these boundaries and you're like, okay, one location, you know, a, a certain number of characters, whatever, then it sort of forces you to get more creative within that structure. So creative structure yeah, yeah, was definitely. the original word yeah. I was thinking of. I, I found it by the end. But yeah, and if, if, and, yeah and if you're kind of having like breaks constantly where you're changing the set like every five minutes, that can be a bit of a distraction too. I remember for the like very first one act play I wrote when I was in the playwriting class, I was doing that where like every five minutes, you know, it would take place different day time. I remember my uh, theater professor was saying, you know, try to keep the scene going for as long as you can. It'll really invest the audience interest and then you can eventually change the scene. But yeah, I remember he had said, keep it as long as you can for as long as you can in essentially the same place. So Mm -hmm. that advice really stuck with me. And I think that that definitely helps in the theater. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is a little bit off of theater and, and acting and things like that. So I hope this is right. Are you, are you from New Jersey? I am. Okay. Okay. I I looked, I think I was on your Facebook page. I looked at it and saw, uh, so we're going to give you 60 seconds to respond to all of the people who constantly hate on New Jersey. So your timer begins now. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, I I love where I live. It's uh, central New Jersey, got a nice wildlife outside. So I like being out in the country and everything. Uh, It's a great convenient location. You're really close to New York, which is essentially... Well, it was before pandemic hit, of course, but the mm-hmm. theater, one of the biggest theater hotspots in the world. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, grew up here my whole life, essentially. And I know it gets a lot of flack and criticism, but, you know, don't overlook Jersey, essentially. There's a, a lot of talent comes out of New Jersey, too. You'd be shocked at all, like the movie stars and singers who came out of here. So <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. All right, New Jersey haters, you hear that? You're missing out. You are missing out on New Jersey. Yeah. All right. So these are, I guess, other personal questions, but these are our rapid fire questions. A little more, up. a little more fun. Yeah. A little okay. more some, just some quick, random kind of questions. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but our very first one is kind of difficult. So, <laughs> if you were to eventually start balding. We're not wishing that. Just we're if. not wishing that on in a, you. In but, a scenario. But what's the move? Do you want to leave it, shave it, wear a toupee, dare I say a comb over? <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd say let it go natural. Just mm. just let it bald then. <laughs> there you go. All right. I think I would have to shave mine. I think I would. My my dad keeps his hair pretty short, and he 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 he's a good looking man. Yeah. So so I, okay, I think nice. I I think <laughs> I might yeah just shave mine. <laughs> Alrighty, which do you prefer, checkers or chess? Uh, chess. 
Mm. Hmm. I'd say me too. Me and my, speaking of, my dad's getting a lot of play on this interview in the past 30 <laughs> seconds, but my dad got me a Transformers chess set when I was oh, young. Nice. That's awesome. And we would, we would play it and we, we kept playing it and he would beat me every single time. And then I remember because he told me the story. I won one time. And I was like, okay, I got some confidence. And then I just kept on winning. And later he told me that he let me win that first oh, game. Oh, that's awesome. And then <laughs> after that, like, I, I, I don't know what happened. You I just got better. Him. Yeah. Yeah, your confidence. Yeah, I actually have a, uh, from my childhood, Simpsons chess. Oh, so my, nice. my dad and I were playing that a lot during quarantine. Oh, that's fantastic. Nice. I love that. Yeah. My dad used to have to travel a lot outside of the country for work. Um, so at one point he went to India and he got us this like Ooh. really cool hand carved uh, oh, wow. chess set. That's really yeah. nice. Yeah. But I'm definitely nice. more of a checkers person myself. Mm, mm, interesting. Okay. Well, That's fine. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if you could only write in either sidewalk chalk or paint forever, no typing, you know, no pencils, <laughs> no pens. Chalk or paint. Which one would you choose? I'm going to say chalk just because I think that that would be like easier to manage. Like you could write essentially scenes, monologues or whatever on a driveway, whereas paint, you know, mm. kind of sloppy, not the easiest to be able to uh, write letters with that. I think chalk would be a bit more easier to write. That's fair. Chalk is cool. I That's, that's yes. got to be in a movie somewhere. If not, we need to put it in. Someone just like <laughs> writing a huge letter in chalk to someone or yeah. something Definitely, like that. Yeah. On like the 10th floor of a building. Write this down, Lauren. Write this. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> New movie idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what do you put on a baked potato? I'd say some of Thousand Island dressing or ranch dressing. Ooh, mm. interesting. Yeah, interesting. Really like that. Yeah. What about you, Lauren? What are your um, baked potatoes? Well, I mean, I, I am a dairy-free person, so mm. I'd probably put some fake butter on there, you know, some, some, some chives, some uh, bacon crumbles. Mm, bacon crumbles nice. are good. Yeah, That's definitely cool. definitely put. got to go with a little butter on there, maybe some cheese. I like cheese. I am not dairy-free, as, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as you know, Lauren. Either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we only have one more question left for you. And this is the biggest. Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite dum-dum flavor? My favorite what flavor? Dum-dum, dum-dum. flavor. Have like you, the lollipops? lollipops? Have you had dum-dums? Oh, no. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I did, but I can't remember the last time I did. Okay. I, I was always a big uh, grape fan of okay. lollipops. Okay. That Great. was always my favorite flavor. That was definitely a, a, yeah. a dum-dum flavor for well, sure. I can also, okay. let, let's default to, uh, this was my backup question in case you hadn't had dum-dums. <laughs> oh, God. What is, do you have a favorite Laffy Taffy flavor? No, I'd, I'd say I'm more of a lollipop person. Wow, Lauren. Man, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's Original fine. and backup question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think as far as dum dums go, I love the mystery. Lauren and I actually talked about this question for like yeah. a couple minutes. We cheat on these, so. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love the mystery flavor because you don't know what you get, but a lot of the times it's the blue raspberry, and the blue raspberry is my favorite oh, besides I, I mystery. Do love blue raspberry. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Blue raspberry is and great. And going, going back to mystery, like you said. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. a mystery guy. I love mystery. All right. <laughs> My favorite's even the butterscotch. Even with dumb flavors. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My favorite's yeah. the butterscotch because there were always a lot left. So mm. I would just get like all the butterscotch ones. Lauren would take yes. home like eight butterscotch dum-dums. Yep. <laughs> and her parents would be like, stop, we already have 112 of these. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. that yeah, was our that last was question, our question, as a matter of fact. So uh, do you have anything you would like to plug? Anything that's coming up for you in the future or anything you'd like to talk about? 
Uh, well, I'm, I have a profile on the new play exchange, Ryan Kaminsky on new play exchange. So any members there can read any of my plays on terms of upcoming projects. I may be having like a few more virtual readings coming up. So definitely if anything comes up with that, I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Definitely. And yeah, if, if anyone's interested in reading the script to the meadow, reading my other 10 minutes pl- plays, I have a one act play there as well. My full lens, I had just finished a uh, another 10 minute play that is also two character oriented as well as a full length play. That's an extension of a 10 minute play I wrote. So, yeah, they're def- they're all in the new play exchange. I also uploaded the uh, virtual stage reading of my full-length play is on there. So, yeah, definitely, if you're looking for new plays to read, I would highly recommend checking me out on New Play Exchange. Awesome. And That's we will fantastic. put that link in the description along with Ryan's email. Yes, we will, Lauren. Yes, we will. Awesome. Alrighty, Ryan. Thanks so much for coming on. We had a great time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, great chatting with you guys. I'm looking forward to when uh, the episode, when the podcast episode drops. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Take it easy. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Green Light. The Green Light. Thank you to our guest who came on. Thank you to our wonderful friends who came on and helped us record the wonderful script. Yeah. Now, if you have not done it yet, it would be really helpful if you would go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. If you roast me or if you roast Lauren or if you leave a detour, we'll probably read it on air. That's right. Mm -hmm. Another way you can help us is by subscribing to our Patreon. We have lots of exclusive content on there and you can give as little as a dollar a month and you'll still get a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of our bonus detours, a lot of our ramble episodes, and $5 for the Greenland episodes, which are my favorite. So that link is in the description. Yes. Also, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, TGL underscore pod. Facebook is... At GreenLightPod. Yes. And if you want to follow us personally, I'm at at J underscore Woodward underscore C on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Hunkleberry, H-U-N-K-E-L-E-B-E-R-R-Y on Instagram and Twitter. And I think that's it. That's it. Thanks. Thank y'all so much for listening. We love you. Love you.